How much difference can there be between two translations of the same work? Well, quite a lot, it seems. Welcome, mere mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, and these reviews are for those who want to transcend beyond their mere mortality. Today, I have for you the book, The Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, and I actually have two versions of this. There is the first, translated by Stephen Mitchell, and then another one, which is by D.C. Lao. Before I talk about why I read two translations, I'm going to chat about the Tao Te Ching itself and the author, Lao Tzu. This was supposedly written, or at least created, somewhere between 600 to 200 BC. And there's two versions of who it is and what this is. There is the more traditional version, which it was written by one person, Lao Tzu, and that he was a contemporary of Confucius, so this places it further back in time, closer to the 600 to 400 BC. There's some uh, mythical stories on the origin of him saying he existed 200 years, like he was a semi-immortal type of person. And then there's the more modern version, which is scholars looking at saying, "Mm, we're not exactly sure that this was written by solely one person. And the name himself, Lao Tzu, can actually be translated as something like the elderly, the old man, the sage. And so they think it was more written after the time of Confucius, almost as a backlash to it. Not a backlash in the sense of the essential Shuangzi, but more of something that came afterwards and that it could have been written by many people and has just one person as the traditional writer, such as Homer in the Greek myths. And this was more a bunch of sayings put together and it's not exactly certain that it's like one person written at one time. The Tao Te Ching itself is translated something like the way of integrity or the text on the path of virtue, something like that. And this is one of the fundamental texts of Taoism and it was the first and probably the most well-known as well. And so therefore Lao Tzu is the most known of the Taoist masters or the Taoist sages. This is written in a style of 81 verses, and each verse has somewhere between 4 to 30 lines, most of them hovering in between that sort of 8 to 16 period. This is not your traditional book. It's more of a text comprised of sayings and musings. So you're not going to find within stories. You're not going to find names. It's not overly political or pushing one theme in particular. And it's not even practical. There's not practical, actionable advice that you can get from it. So it's more for contemplation and philosophy. Touching upon the translations, this was obviously written in Chinese, which is a very difficult language. One of the translators in the book was saying, why it was so difficult because there is no tense, there is no mood, there's no indication of the plural, there's not even punctuation marks, so you're not sure when one passage ends and another starts, and the text itself has been corrupted over centuries and centuries, so it's not super easy to translate. It itself contains 5,000 Chinese characters, with many of these passages being in the rhyming style. However, when you translate this over into English, it just expands way, way, way more. So it's more 10,000 to 20,000, depending on which version of the translation you can get. And it's also not going to be rhyming in the same style that the Chinese does. I'm going to change the structure up slightly from my typical style because this book itself is not typical. So I'm going to talk about one of the themes that I gained from this book, then about the two different translations and how they are so different and you can get a different reading experience from that. And then finally, more of my takeaways and wisdoms and my particularly favorite quotes that I've took from this book. 
For the main theme, I'm going to avoid talking about the Tao because I think I covered that mostly in my book review of The Essential Shuangzi. And instead, I'm going to talk about a particular aspect of it, which is Wu Wei, effortless action. I'm going to read from verse 48 because I think there's a pretty good example of what Wu Wei means. So to quote from it, Less and less do you need to force things until finally you arrive at non-action. When nothing is done, nothing is left undone. So to put this into my own words, I'm going to say it's something like purposeful activity, but with a quiet contemplation mindset. So what Wu Wei for means is that you're actually doing things in the world, but you're trying to mitigate some of the negative side effects that can come from the mental activity of doing that. So Tao and Taoism for me isn't advocating that you go live in a cave somewhere and do nothing with your life, or you be super lazy and just accept things, everything as it comes and that you have no say in the matter. No, it's saying you can actually do things in the world, but you've got to try and flip that switch in your mind, which is constantly judging, constantly striving, and this can lead to unsatisfactoriness. So this is sort of that Buddhism term, or maybe Buddhism got it from Taoism, which is more likely, I think, is that striving and that constant desire, that constant moving forward can cause this feeling of suffering of unsatisfactoriness. And so what you should actually do is try and develop a style where you are doing things in the world, but not purposefully like feeling it in your head. I'm also going to mix this up with something more modern. So the Pareto principle, 20% of your actions give about 80% of your results. And for me, I was sort of thinking, okay, along the terms of this, using this with Wu Wei, how could you implement these two ideas? And for me, it's something like, if I spend 20% of my time striving, thinking, planning, doing all of those things that can cause suffering if you do it too much, and then 80% of the time, actually putting it into that action, but not having that striving mentality. So for example, if I'm going to go into a handstand or wanting to learn how to handstand, maybe I should spend 20% of my time thinking about, oh, okay, I can do these sorts of things. I can structure my training this way. I can do this. And then 80% of the time just being flicking off the switch in my mind saying, okay, that's all good. Now I'm going to be quietly contemplating while putting this into action. So it can be stressful. It can be hard. It can be difficult, but having that assurance in my mind, almost of, you know, making myself dumber, flicking the switch off and going, okay, now's time to work. Now's time to get it done. And I think you could probably do this with most things in life. So we spend so much time really trying to plan, focus and get this desire and getting what we want, striving, striving, striving. And that is useful, but maybe only for 20% of the time. So maybe 20% of the time, do the planning, do it and whatnot. And then 80% of the time when you're putting it into action, just doing it without those thoughts in your head and just implementing it. And this could be for anything. It could be learning a new skill. It could be learning how to be a better friend, communicating, whatever it is that you want to achieve in life, a goal of some sort. Yeah, for sure. Plan and figure it out. But when you're doing it, use Wu Wei and use that effortless action. So now we'll flow effortlessly into the next section on the two translations. And so I really lucked into these because I just grabbed two books called the Tao Te Ching from wherever I could grab them. And I have the two versions here by Stephen Mitchell, which I would describe as the more artistic version. And then by DC Lau, which is the more scholarly. To show you just how radically different these versions are, I'm going to read a random passage I just picked out. So this is from number 57, about the middle of it. So for the more artistic one, the more prohibitions you have, the less virtuous people will be. The more weapons you have, the less secure people will be. And then going on to the DC Lao, more scholastic version. 
The more taboos there are in the empire, the poorer the people. The more sharpened tools the people have, the more benighted the state. So what you can gain from this is that they're completely different, but also the same. So they'll have the same style and structure of the sentence, but the actual words that they use within them can completely change. Stephen Mitchell in his introduction says, hey, I'm gonna be a little bit more liberal. I'm not gonna follow word for word exactly what this means. If it says horse in this particular instance, I could change it to another animal or to another concept completely, as long as I'm trying to get the meaning of the Tao Te Ching across in modern English. Whereas DC Lao is much more to the point much more observant of what the literal translation is. And when he has had to make a judgment call of himself, he usually includes a little footnote at the end explaining in a full paragraph of why he chose to do this. So these two different versions give you two different feelings of what the Tao Te Ching actually is. So you could come away saying literal versus non-literal, which is better? And for me, the answer is it depends on your context, what you particularly enjoy. For me, I actually enjoyed having both of them. So I'm greedy. I wanted both of the versions. And this was really good for me because it stopped two things for me. One, it stopped me reading it as a normal book, which is I go through it really quick. I'm trying to extract information or get the most words out of it. Whereas with this one, I had to stop, read one version, and then I'd read the next version. And so I got this great combination of the two different aspects and seeing, okay, this one's more literal, this one's more artistic but they both got that same concept behind it. And then trying to grasp that concept, I found it immensely useful having the two different versions. So which of the two versions would I recommend? Well, I particularly enjoyed, I got more enjoyment from the Stephen Mitchell version. It has pictures in it, it has little photos, it has a nicer just feel to it in general. And there's not all this baggage of needing to know the scholastic stuff and it does actually feel a little bit easier to understand because some of the Chinese proverbs or some of the Chinese language that they use aren't as applicable as stuff that's nowadays. So I actually enjoyed this one. That being said, this is not a condemnation of the DC Lao version of the Tao Te Ching. This is just more heavier. So you have to work a little bit harder to understand the concepts. Some of the proverbs, some of the particular references might include something that's particular to China. So you have to try and understand it a little bit deeper. He gives so much more background knowledge of the Tao Te Ching, of Lao Tzu, of his thoughts. And it's definitely more scholastic. And just the reading of it is not as fun because you'll see things such as the repetitive passages. So you'll see, okay, this is the same passage over here. It's the same words, but it's using a, a almost like a double negative to imply the same thing. Or you can go to passages 24, 26, and let's say 30. These are just random ones. And you'll see, oh, 30 is just actually the amalgamation of 24 and 26 or parts of them at least. And so it doesn't add anything particularly new. Whereas the Stephen Mitchell version has created the same thing, but it's different. It's different enough that you feel, okay, this is actually worthy of, of being repeated. Okay, we've come now to my takeaway section and some of the wisdom that I particularly gained from this. I'm gonna do it by grouping some of these passages and sayings into what I felt was the, the meta information or the meta wisdom that was behind it. And we'll start with 22, 34, and 50. Now, what this one was is that you shouldn't strive too hard. And if you want to get something, striving for it too hard will actually almost reverse it and flip it in the other way. I've talked about this on the podcast with Juan where if you're striving for fame, 
you're probably not going to get it by actually really wanting fame. You should be doing other things and then fame will sort of come as a result of this. So, having some minimal guidance, yes, is necessary. Some minimal planning, harkening back to what I just said before with the 20% and 80%, that is okay. But when you really want something, it's probably not best to focus on it too hard because that can end up being useless or at least not optimal. Another cool batch of three is 27, 38, and 65. And this is that the master can learn from all situations. So if you're really living in the Tao, then you are actually using every situation to your advantage. You're not solely seeking out the positive things in life. And maybe you're not actively searching for negative things to happen to you, but you're at least acknowledging, hey, bad stuff is probably going to happen to me in this life. And I can learn from this. I don't need to use this as an opportunity for pointless suffering. It can be used for suffering with a purpose. I can actually gain something from this. I did say before that the Tao Te Ching isn't practical and it's more for contemplation, but there were a couple of verses that stood out for me as being something that I could apply to my life. So these, for example, were 30. So this is talking about violence and how violence actually tends to rebound. So if you're a violent person, you've got to watch out because you're almost drawing violence into your life by the way you act in the world. 44, which is fame is fruitless and pointless. So he's very particular on this point, which is if you're searching for fame, you're not going to get what you want from that. Fame is probably one of the worst things that seems to be good, but is actually terrible in general. And 63, and this is definitely a modern psychology. So this is talking about how if you can't do something, then you break it down into little steps that are manageable until you can do it. So it's actually quite interesting to see how something that perhaps Jordan Peterson will talk about is something that you can find from millennia ago as a useful thing to implement into the world. I found 56 interesting because this was something I came across recently in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which is the quote, those who know don't talk, those who talk don't know. So this is where you can see that the Tao Te Ching has actually had a huge influence on other parts of Eastern philosophy with regards to Zen and Buddhism because quotes from it you can find just randomly popping up in other places and in other books and it's not stealing, you know, it's not like anyone's going to say, oh, you're stealing from the Tao and Taoism. But it is interesting to note how these different religions, which you might think are completely separate, do have these core bases and these core quotes and all of these core things that you can link to very far in the past. And to finish off, because I have been saying mostly good things about it, I will include something that I found slightly negative or at least neutral about, which was passages 53, 59, 60, and 61. And there's a couple of others as well, which is all about governance and ruling of men and how to be a great leader. And while I would say the advice or what was included in here wasn't bad in any way, seemed mostly common sense. It also could be misinterpreted. And it's also for people who have an interest in that. And as I have no interest in politics, for me, reading it just went, okay, that's okay. That's cool. But this is not for me. I'm not going to gain anything from this. To summarize the Tao Te Ching, I think this is for a certain person in a certain stage of their life. It's not for everyone. I think it's good for adding to your personal maxims or your own philosophy and not needing something super 
practical and super heavy on this is exactly what you should do. I, for example, read this book six years ago and I absolutely hated it. So back then I was in a mindset of striving, of needing things, of wanting practicality and actionable advice. And when I read this, I thought it was awful because there was no things to take away from it. It was too flowery. It was uncertain with its words. It seemed to contradict itself in many passages and thought, man, this is totally useless. So you can see even from that one example that it's not particularly the person even that matters. It's more your mindset coming into the book of what you will gain from it. The Tao Te Ching itself seems to advocate a quiet, calm, humble mindset. And I particularly took away the Wu Wei aspect of that effortless action of not needing to strive too hard to actually still get things done in your life. So for me, I'm giving the Tao Te Ching a seven and a half out of 10 for either translation, either by Stephen Mitchell or by DC Lau. It's a pretty fun, quick, interesting read. So Mere Modelites, we've come to the end of another book review and I really do wanna thank you for joining me up until this point. If you'd like to hear more, you can hit follow or subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening on. And if you could go over to Apple and iTunes and leave five stars and a nice review, that really does help me out. To interact or connect with me, you can find me on Instagram at Mere Mortals Podcast. And other than that, I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Kyron out.